0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of DadCast live on YouTube. I am your host, at least one of them. I am JP. Hello, how are you? And of course, joining us as always, the man, the myth, the legend right over there, Mr. Nick Martin. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Of course, uh, sitting in my um, sweltering hot studio once again. Thankfully, I have a fan and some AC going on in here, so uh, we should be okay for this one. Awesome. I've
1: got my AC down to like 66, so it's a little chilly.
0: Oh, well, aren't you just (laughs) living the dream right now? Today on DadCast, man, we have a very, very special guest. Uh, uh, She... Has the honor of being the very second female guest that we've ever had solo on Dadcast, which makes us very, very happy. Um, she's the author of some amazing uh, line of books, Baby Sense, the App Parent Sense. I, I, I may have got that wrong, but we'll let her discuss that uh, a little bit later in the show. Please welcome to Dadcast, Miss Meg Fora. Hello, how are you?
2: Hey, JP. Good to be on with you guys. Hi, Nick.
0: Hey so man this is again as i mentioned before we went on the air uh that it's a little bit out of our lane um you know i feel like we should start a podcast and call it momcast and uh, we'll get it right but we've been actually looking forward to having you on for a couple months we actually had to uh, reschedule one a while ago and i look forward to this Different type of podcast that we do to discuss what you do when it comes to babies and childs and bringing them up and all the good stuff. So, with that being said, the typical question I always ask to start it off the rite of passage on Dadcast is, Are you a dad? Now, obviously, we know that's not the answer, but for this case, are you a mom?
2: I am I'm the mom to three kids. So, I've got an adult son who is an engineer, he lives in London. Um, I've got a young adult daughter who is getting into sustainability and into that kind of space. And then I've got a a high school kid as well. So I've got three children.
0: That is amazing. Okay. So you're the mom of adult children. Um, we've, uh, we've touched on that for a while uh, on a few different episodes here. Uh Uh-oh, I've got a message saying we're not live for some reason. Let's try this again. Uh, It says we're live. Anywho, doesn't matter. It's recording. It's okay. Um, Tell us a little bit about your line of books and and the parent sense and, and what that is all about.
2: Yeah, so I actually qualified as an occupational therapist in Cape Town, South Africa, which is where you find me tonight. It's actually not where I live, but I am in the Southern Hemisphere tonight. Okay. Um, And I then actually moved straight across to New York, where I worked in a pediatric rehab facility. And I've always worked with babies. That was my passion. It was what I wanted to do from the time i started to graduate and study. Um, And I worked with babies who were predominantly really, really fussy. So kids who just didn't settle, didn't feed well, didn't sleep well through temper tantrums, you know, all all of that sort of really fun stuff. Um, And then obviously had my own children and realized actually that it was a whole lot lot more different than when you're just giving out advice. Right. Um, And that was the real world. And it was after I had my second child that I decided to write the book um, Baby Sense, which became an overnight bestseller. um, That was back in in the early 2000s. Um, And the background to that book was really to explain to parents – why their babies behave in a certain manner, whether it's to do with sleep or feeding or development according to their sensory system. So it's all based on sensory integration. Right. Um, I then went on to write eight, eight other books of which, um, the seventh book was also a bestseller that was on weaning your babies. So my books have always been centered around kind of early childhood development and early child parenting. and um, that's been my focus. So kind of zero to three and pregnancy as well. Um, I then went on to found three companies. Uh, my first company was a baby product company, which I sold. It's a product company called Baby Sense, the same name as my book. Sold that in 2014, then founded two more startups. And the second one is a tech startup, which is, um, which we're, in which we developed a parenting application called Parent Sense, which is kind of the culmination of all the information out of my books, plus my lectures, my courses. Um, it's kind of a, a parenting guidebook.
0: Amazing,
1: so, that, that keeps you busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nick, I'm sorry, did you have <laughs> Sydney
2: something? Does.
1: Yeah, no, actually, I'm, I'm I'm just like you. I'm really excited to talk to her because I have a two-year-old, and when he was born, he didn't know how to eat. And we were, like, yeah. just stumped. Like, how, how do we get him to figure that out? And the doctors scared the crap out of us. They're like, okay, if you don't get him to eat, he's going to have brain damage. And they rushed him to the NICU, and he was in the NICU for two months, and it was the midst of the pandemic, so I didn't get to see him. But – it was just like super scary, and then I was kind of going through a little bit of your book, and there's you know some of the stuff that we probably could have used at the time. I, I wish I would have known about your book at the time because <laughs> I, I, there's some of the, yeah. things in the book that we probably could have applied that may have helped a little bit or may have helped them understand how to eat differently or whatever.
0: So yeah. that's yeah. I
1: just, I'm really excited to have you on and hear some more about some yeah. Well, now is so, your so,
2: that, so that's crazy. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So so, so that situation is crazy scary because, I mean, when you've got a new baby, as it is, even if your baby's typically developing and everything's going according to plan, you do feel a little bit out of of your depth. And I mean, that's why I wrote the books. But when things don't go according to plan, which is obviously what happened with you guys, Nick, um, it's really, really terrifying. And the baby who's not feeding um, triggers all sorts of emotions in parents because it's it's like the one job you feel like you've got to get right. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was really frustrating. It's like everything was perfect. And then... He went, I think, eight hours without eating, and it was basically, okay, we're taking him to the NICU. They had feeding tubes shoved in him, and it was, like, the scariest thing ever. He was, in like, in a little incubator thing, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is just crazy, but the doctors didn't want to try anything else other than rushing him to the NICU and getting all the feeding tubes and everything in, and it was just the scariest thing ever, and, it's, and I'm wondering, is there any... Other things that we could have applied at the time—is there sensory stuff that we could have tried with him that may have worked out differently, may have kept him in the regular hospital for another day or so?
2: Yeah, it's really interesting because you know, I mean, I mean, with with anything like this, you know, it depends on on what the cause was. So, for, with something like feeding, if it was something that had to do with his motor system, like for instance, he didn't have a good suck reflex then there probably was nothing you could do because he needed to learn how to learn to suck and, and he needed to do that and, and he needed some assistance to do that. Um, sometimes it's got to do, I mean, very often with just a drop in blood sugar level where they become a little lazy and so then they don't feed and it becomes a little bit of a vicious cycle. But it doesn't sound like that in your case because he wouldn't have ended up spending two months in the neonatal ICU. I mean, that, that's a really long time. Um, So there was probably something else going on. I mean, I'm interested to know, did he, what what, what was his feeding journey like later on? I mean, once he was feeding and was discharged, has he been an easy eater or has he been really a picky eater? So he's very picky,
1: um, but he, once, once he figured out how to, he he never breastfed, he always, he's, he's always been a bottle baby. So he could never figure that part of it out. So he's always been on the bottle. Once he figured the bottle out, it's a lot. He drinks a lot of a lot. Now he's on milk, but he drinks a lot of milk now. And as far as food goes, it's macaroni and cheese and the occasional French fry. <laughs> but other than that, like we try vegetables, we try chicken nuggets, we he try pizza, so we try, we try everything. And yeah. sometimes, like if his grandpa is eating something, he'll be like, Oh, I want to try that. And then he'll end, he'll end up liking it. So if he's really attached to the person and mimicking what that person does, then yeah, he's all about what that person does. But if mom or dad tries to show him something different, absolutely not. It's, I want my mac and cheese. I want, I want this and that, and that's it. But now it's like, but he eats a lot of it though. So it, that's, that's a good thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I mean, it's actually quite classic. These picky eaters often end up on what we call beige diets or white diets. They're diets that are made up of generally fried food, highly processed carbohydrates and dairy, and that can form the entire diet. So very often it is yogurt, um, pasta, and fried foods and, and chicken nuggets. I mean, that, that, that's like your classic beige diet. It's, it's a very common thing that we see with the little ones. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. And one of them is actually sensory. And, you know, Nick, I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't a sensory basis to everything that went on for your little one. Because with our very sensory sensitive um, babies, we tend to see that they don't feed easily in the early days. So they don't take to breastfeeding because breastfeeding is an in, insanely sensory experience. You know, you, you, you've got skin to skin, you've got different smells, different tastes, different temperatures. It's it's just a very, very sensory experience. So they don't like breastfeeding. They do then often end up either being tube fed or, or, or uh, you know, fed on a nasogastric tube and then end up on bottles because bottles are less sensory. And then when they wean onto solids, um, which happens anywhere around six months of, you know, between four and six months of age, they tend to be a little bit more picky. So they don't like, brightly colored foods. They don't like different textures. They gag on different textures. Um, And so they end up with this very smooth diet. And then from a smooth diet, which can maybe be like potatoes and and courgettes or zucchinis and, you know, kind of all your your marrows, from there, they actually just migrate straight onto your beige foods, which as you've described is, 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 you know, what I spoke about earlier. So that's quite a typical trajectory for a sensory baby. And it's really challenging because, first of all, you know, they can battle with weight gain. Um, and then when they do get onto foods where they're eating well, like you say, your little one is, they're not actually getting a wide repertoire of food, which stresses parents out. Um, and there, there are a couple of things we talk about in, in my book, Weaning Sense, which was the seventh book I wrote, which was also a bestseller. When we spoke about weaning in that book, um, there were a couple of things that, that we suggest. First of all, specifically, and I think you mentioned, is he two or three years old? He's, he's, he's older, isn't turned he? He's two. Yeah. So at that age, first of all, the first thing you would definitely want to be doing is limiting the amount of milk he's having in his diet, because what often happens is that they start to take the easy way out, which is milk. You know, milk is always easier than than having a whole lot of, you know, kind of various, various solids going in. Um, And so I would definitely be limiting the amount of milk that he gets in his day to encourage his appetite. And then at meal times, you want to offer him um, a variety of foods that includes a small challenge in every meal. So a little bit of broccoli here and there, a little bit of smoked salmon, and, and like you say, getting your your dad or somebody else to actually eat with them and involve social eating works really, really well for these little ones as well.
0: You hear that, Nick? You got to stop the donuts and the and the chocolate.
1: <laughs> well, and the, the funny thing is, I eat really healthy. I I work out every day, and I'm like I'm all about vegetables and grilled meats and stuff, and it's just it's so frustrating when it's like, oh come on, bud, like you don't need mac and cheese yeah. every day or a gallon of yogurt every morning for breakfast. It's yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. And you're right, it's and it's all about colors too. If the food is too brightly mm-hmm. colored, it throws them off and it's like it, it upsets them almost.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, if you go onto the app, the Parent Sense app, you'll see on the bottom left side there's a section on courses, and in there there's a course called The Sensory Baby. And in the sensory baby course, we actually talk about these four different sensory personalities that human beings have. And this goes for all of us. I mean, all of us on this call, everybody watching have different sensory personalities. And those personalities are broken into um, the settled personality or the serene personality, which tends to have a very high filter for sensory information. A lot can go on without disturbing them. They tend to be really laid back kids, so um, our laid back babies. Then we have our social butterflies who are really, really seeking sensory information. Yep, there you go. There's the app. Um, They're seeking sensory information. They want lots of stimulation, more the better, social butterflies. Then you've got your sensitive babies who are sensitive to everything. I mean, every single thing that goes on in their world can trigger them. They throw temper tantrums. They emotionally label They tend to not eat and feed very well. They tend to be poor sleepers, and they tend to be just tricky kids to bring up. And then you're forced into personalities, you're slow to warm up. And they start off sensitive, and then once they've warmed up, they can be the life and soul of a party. And when you understand your baby through those lenses, you can understand why they feed like they do, why they're not sleeping potentially, and also how they develop and how their personality works. So it's really worthwhile actually having a look at that course because it could shed some light on on him as well.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm definitely going to download this and check it out. Speaking
0: of, I have downloaded the app as we speak, live in real time. And uh, first of all, it's a great looking app. So well done. And it's making me a little, uh, I don't know. Sad that my babies are grown up, and maybe I can, you know, see what we can do about having another baby. I don't know. I'm getting kind of yeah. Well, we had a deal. (laughs) So Meg, we had a deal. We we just found out. By the way, if you're not aware, Nick and his lovely wife Danielle are pregnant. Number seven.
2: I was not aware.
0: Yes. So (laughs) number seven for uh, old man Nick over here. And what are we? Three months in? Two months in?
1: Uh, yeah. Three months in today. So three months today. So
0: first trimester done.
1: Yeah. I know. Hopefully it, it gets a little better because it's been rough. It has been not rough for me. Right. <laughs> real Rough for her, but yeah. So we're, and we're hoping like we can figure out different routes when this new baby's born and we're having a girl this time. So hopefully she is a little bit better at eating and understanding stuff than, her, her brother was so we'll, well, we'll see download
0: yeah. the parent sense app and have that thing on your home screen nick and open it up for every step of the way and have meg on speed dial for this baby what do you think yeah,
1: exactly yeah any any help <laughs> that we could have gotten would have been absolutely amazing so we, we went through IVF, so that's a whole nother issue too with our hospitals here there's the hospitals up north in the bigger cities understand IVF babies and pregnancies and stuff. Down where we live, there's not a lot of that going on, and the doctors aren't versed on how to handle an IVF pregnancy and an IVF baby. So we have to basically it's like weekly visits, sometimes twice a week visits. We have to go up north, I like think once or twice a month now. But it's a lot of stuff. And then when the baby was born, and there's is this issue an IVF issue? Is it just a normal issue? So the doctors weren't sure of what was going mm. on. So we've got all that too.
2: Well, you know, there's, I'm very surprised that you've gone on to have a seventh baby because those very tricky, sensitive babies can turn parents off having another baby ever. So <laughs> well done to you guys.
1: <laughs> so I, I love my wife a lot. That's that's why we're having a second baby. <laughs> and this is it, right? Uh, this yeah, is it, yeah. Nick? Yeah, yeah, this is it. So I have seven kids. I had five before I got married she didn't have any so I and I was I had a vasectomy so I was done so I got unfixed we went through IVF had her oh god okay <laughs> so I thought, this one this one's hard Do like, you sure you want another one this guy our little guy's just he's a he's a monster so
2: yeah I know you this this baby's gonna be great you know and I see this all the time the way people have these really tricky little ones come out um, first or second and the other, the next little one coming along, it's just so easy. They let you in lightly. Nick, it's going to be great. Uh, it really is. I think, I think, and you know, and a good little girl, I mean, you've been through this before cause you've got seven babies, but little girls are, are real little blessings. So.
0: Yes, they um, are. It'll be good. There's yeah. something to be said about that. I mean, I, I I've got a 17 year old uh, daughter. I have an almost 12-year-old yeah. son, and my baby girl just turned nine, meaning she's not so baby girl anymore. And uh, I always I, I look at her driving in the car and, and just go, where did those last nine years go? And and, mm. and what happens in the next nine years? It's just going to go in another flash, and she's going to be an adult. And that's when I had that whole, maybe we can figure out having another baby. And I don't know how that's going to work, because <laughs> my lady uh, no longer has a uterus, and, you know, had the whole had all had all the uh, had all the, uh, you know, the plumbing taken out. And yeah, it's just I guess I just have to wait till I'm a granddad and, and experience that. But, you know, I'm glad that I've obviously got to experience that three different times. But I'm a little bit envious of you, Nick. I, I really, truly am, you know, and at the same time, I'm not at all.
1: You know, it's like, you know three in the morning like jb i haven't slept in five days <laughs> <can't use> <laughs>
0: send her send her our way man if, if if the wife will allow it you know we'll take her for a couple overnights maybe that'll get my fill and and then we can call yeah. it good <laughs> meg do you have any uh advice or any uh tips tricks uh on older children, like in particular, the 14 to 17 year old daughter who thinks she knows everything uh, problem and the lashing back.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I, I do a course that's also on the app called Positive Boundaries and it's all around discipline. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a really strong advocate for firm boundaries and, and strong discipline in a very nurturing manner. So I think all kids, um, regardless of if they're two years old or 14, I'm going to tell you about a little piece of interesting research that illustrates just how important boundaries are. So there was a piece of research that was done where they took a group of parents and children, put them in the middle of a field, and they divided the group into two. So you've got these two groups of parents and children. And around the one group of parents and children, they put a little picket fence. And they put this little fence around, and around the other group of parents and children, there's no fence. And then what they did is they watched to see how far these children moved away from their parents. And they found that these toddlers who had this um, picket fence around them moved all the way to the edge of the fence. They try to push the fence, they try to climb over the fence, they try to really like experiment with, with the fence. Whereas the little kiddies who didn't have a fence stayed very close. And what they realized was that when children have boundaries, they feel a lot safer. And so they're able to go up, go a much further distance, they're able to push the boundaries, they come up against them and they actually feel better about themselves in the world if they've got the boundaries. Whereas the children who don't have boundaries are less secure and i think that you know jp i think that is the secret with toddlers as well as teenagers is that they do need boundaries and they need to know that somebody else is the boss um you know in big business we always talk about imposter syndrome that's you know like if somebody you know points you to the ceo of of a big firm you're going to feel like gosh why would they do that i get imposter syndrome and i think teenagers and toddlers get the same thing if they don't have somebody who is the boss, and they feel like they have been given the authority. Um, it makes them feel less secure. It gives them imposter syndrome. So I'm always a big advocate for pulling in boundaries and making sure little ones know, and, and teenagers know what they can move up against. In my course and in my book, I talk about the ABC approach to boundaries. And so that is when your teenager pushes against boundaries, or your toddler, um, your A stands for acknowledge, Know what? tell them that you know what they want. So I know you want to go out to that party Um, I know that you want to, you want daddy to read you another story at night if they're a toddler. That's the, that's the A. The B is the boundary. You may not go to that party or um, daddy's not going to read you another story tonight or whatever the boundary is. And the C is the choice. And that's quite key with toddlers and with teenagers is that they don't like feeling caged. Otherwise, they feel like they're like a bear in the corner. And so giving them a choice between something that you can live with and something that they can't live with, um, is the secret. And in that way, you kind of make them feel understood. You give them a boundary, but you're also giving them a choice. And I think that strategy alone makes such a difference with both toddlers and with teenagers.
0: ABC, man, it sounds simple enough. It really does when you explain it, but actually implementing said advice is woo I, woo, woof. There's, I, I, I think I don't have any problem with a and B it's the C once we get to C, um, and the pushback is where, and I, uh, Nick, you, you agree
1: a hundred percent. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, and I don't, I haven't experienced it yet with a boy because he's not old enough. And I truly just feel that uh, the boys are easier when it comes to that age. It, it, uh, yeah. It,
1: I, can, I can tell you a hundred percent. Cause I, I have boys that are 14 to 23 and, it's completely opposite from my daughter who's 17 where I tell her no on something and it's the end of the world. I tell the boys no. And it's like, all right, cool, dad, whatever. We'll go do this. Then. And so <laughs> how, how, where's the disconnect with, with the girls? Like, I don't understand it. It's, it's so weird how they know so much more than us and like my boys are just like, ah, whatever. All right, dad, cool. I'm, I'm just, that's, okay, yeah. I, then I'm going to do this. Oh,
2: but she's also probably playing the dad card. So girls and their dads, there's something very special there, but they, they know how to get in there, don't they?
0: (laughs) They do. They (laughs) certainly do. And my nine-year-old, that's the thing. My, my, my baby girl, she'll, uh, you know, she'll peek an eye out and, and see what, what big sister's doing. And then, you know, a day or two later, I see her testing that boundary. You know, she'll, she'll put herself in the same type of situation, albeit, you know, much younger and more innocent, uh, and, and, and push it with me like Big Sister did. And it's no little girl, that's not how it goes. And I am scared to death of when, you know, the next three or four years comes around and how we're, I'm going to be able to handle that. Thankfully, I had a lot of practice with the older, and, you know, they're all different. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But man, this journey is, I, I, I've got a shirt that said it, it's the hardest job I've ever loved.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that you've ever loved. I love that. Yeah, it is it is the hardest job. And you know, and I think it's I think we're so unprepared for it. And that's you know, that that's where a lot of the work that I've done comes in is that you know, as as we, we come out of big business, we come out with degrees, we have you know, we've been running companies, whatever we've been doing, um, and we medical doctors, we, we should know what we're doing, and then suddenly we confronted with this baby and it's like we have no idea. And I've right. always called Parenthood, the, the great leveler, because it doesn't matter where you come from, you it's a level playing field and it's terrifying.
0: And it's not um, easier. A lot of our and it doesn't get easier with number two or three because there's different, you know, there all of a sudden this human has a different personality and does this right. different. It's oh, it's another and poor Nick. Like I said, he's got 87 children, and each one has been different every <laughs> single time. And now we've got a brand new one coming. I look forward to that journey, man.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be. And number
2: six was the curveball.
1: Yeah, yeah. Number 6 was like the tough one. Uh 1 through 5 yeah. very very easy babies. Like nothing nothing crazy. This one is just absolutely a 100% different. He's got a crazy personality right now. Like uh, he's very sensitive but also he thinks he's the funniest person in the room. So it's it's it's. Really, I know that really, feeling, Nick. I know that it's one. Really cool to watch. It's like, oh my gosh, And like <laughs> yeah. he's a he's telling jokes, and sometimes it's the right context, or like now he's he picks up bad words by 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 accident. Like I let him watch a movie one time, and there might have been a bad word or two. So he figured out how to use the words in the right sentence. I'm like, how did you? You're two. How how do you know this? Because
0: <laughs> you allowed it. That's 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 your fault, Nick. Again, we've discussed this.
1: I know I shouldn't have high-fived him. I probably should have
0: been like, no, you stick <laughs> to the cocoa melon, man, stick to the cocoa melon. And that's another good question for you. Yeah. Um, is, is too much cocoa melon, too much digital, too much screen time. What have you seen in, in your studies and your writings and, and, and what you do? Um, the negative effect of that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's hugely topical and a very important conversation. So it obviously has, um, it, it works according to norms. Um, in the first two years of life, there are two very critical um, inputs that actually wire the brain. So the human brain is developing at a rate of knots from birth through to three years old, um, literally multiplying those synapses all the time. And the way that the human brain wires or synapses is with two things. The first thing is sensory information. Um, and that sensory information comes in through our eight senses, which is our our, senses, um, you know, our five senses that we know about, and then also the sense of movement, vestibular sense, the sense of proprioception, and the sense of interoception. And all of those eight senses bring in sensory information that wire the brain for talking, walking, literally all learning that we do through life. And the problem with technology is that technology is actually only targeting two senses, and that's the sense of vision, and if you're lucky, the sense of auditory as well. Those are really the two main senses that are, are being targeted. You haven't got the sense of smell test, vestibular proprioception, which is movement and, and body sense. There's just nothing else going on. And the problem with the way that the brain works is that it cannot integrate. There's a piece in the brain called the thalamus that integrates the sensory systems. um, And it can't just integrate the visual and the auditory in order to wire the whole brain. It needs movement. It needs proprioception. And that's why two-year-olds are so busy, because they are wiring their brains. And so what happens when you present babies under the age of two with um, digital technology and visual screens all the time, um, is that their brains just don't, simply don't wire in the same way as they do when they're physically moving. And so that's why it becomes a real, real danger zone under two years of age, because um, we've seen that babies who watch too much TV, um, their language doesn't develop in the same way as other children's language develop. And that was actually research that was done um, by Stanford University many years ago when they looked at the baby Einstein videos. And the baby Einstein videos were bought with by Disney at the time. And the word Einstein made people think that if they put the baby Einstein videos on for their babies, their babies would like develop these fabulous brains. And so basically the university said, hold on, let's have a look at this. Like, are these kids any brighter? And they found that the babies who watched the baby Einstein videos had less words at 18 months than the babies who didn't. And so then they started to piece together that actually it it, it impacted learning. So from the perspective of learning, from the perspective of many other things, sleep and, and development as well, Too much tech is not good. So I mentioned at the beginning of that that there are two things that wire the brains. The one's the sensory, which is obviously not present in technology, but the other's the emotional. And the emotional is what gives us our success in life. You know, our emotional intelligence, our ability to relate, our ability to connect with another human being um, is really key to to developing, you know, long-term and being successful. And the problem with television is that there's no emotional reciprocity. In other words, if you're watching a screen, the screen can't tell you, can't respond back to you according to what you're saying to it. So if you say the baby says baba to Cocomelon, Cocomelon doesn't say that back to them, whereas a the parent does. And so this emotional reciprocity doesn't happen with screens. And so these babies have a deficit in, in emotional regulation as well. And so for these two reasons, technology is really dangerous in the developing brain. And and that's why the American Association of Pediatrics, for example, says absolutely no screen time under the age of two. Now, now I'm a parent and I've had three kids. And I know what you guys are thinking is like, that's just not reasonable. It's not practical. Um, But I think it is a caution for parents that, you know, too much technology in the early days is something that they do need to avoid. And you need to parent consciously when it comes to that. Right. And then obviously as you go on afterwards, it then changes according to the age bands.
1: Well, there you have it, Nick. Yeah. No, so so six months ago, we uh, we cut back cocoa melon. Okay. Right. Like we basically cut it down to where he can watch it maybe 30 minutes a day, if that. And we brought out puzzles, more reading, and like playing with cars and trying to get him away from every time we go to Walmart, he's gotta buy a cocoa melon toy. Now it's like hey dad I'm into bobcats and construction toys and other mm-hmm. really cool stuff. So and it's it's t- it's been 6 months of okay let's let's read this book about building a house or read this book about the farm animals and so he's learning a lot more and he's not as hooked on watching TV. So he'll come home and it's more about let's where's my cars dad which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Love yes, that. For there, mm-hmm. Yeah, for a while there it was I want cocoa melon. And it's like,
0: Oh no. <laughs> and Nick, you, you, you mentioned in that statement there, uh, every time quote, I'm quoting, you now. every time we go to Walmart, he has to buy a, no, Nick,
1: no. Is there any I, research
0: done Meg on the parents <laughs> and, and how you can control them from spoiling said babies? <laughs> I mean, that that's really where we're at here. <laughs>
2: Uh, no i don't know of any research on that i don't have any research it goes back to the boundaries
1: <laughs> yeah there you go you want to know it's really bad okay i spent a hundred dollars on clothes and toys for sophie last night
0: that's not bad at all in fact that brings kind of an emo- that almost brings a tear to my eye man that is sophie sophie martin sophie b martin that's the name so they got the name they got the everything uh you just need to get you know what i would recommend maybe is uh getting that nursery uh up and running before buying any clothes just saying
1: i know i know since the the older kids moved out we've got two extra rooms now exactly have you how
2: how do you how do your older kids feel about these little ones do they just love them are they are they um, loving this parenting journey
1: Kind of. So my oldest son, he's 23 in the army. He's very, he's very into it. So when he's home, he's really excited to see the little babies. Uh, My 19 year old is kind of out exploring the world right now. He works for a coffee stand that sends them all over the country to open up new stands. So his whole goal in life is just traveling and exploring and seeing what's out there. And when he's home, he's like, Oh, cool. I get to see my baby brother. Like It's whatever. My 17 year old daughter feels like I'm replacing her, so, so we're having an issue with she. She's just going through a lot of teenage stuff. Of you know, her, she lives with her mom now. She lived with me for a long time, and we had a disagreement on her staying out past 10 o'clock at night and her doing stuff. So she decided to go live with her mom, who lets her do whatever she wants. And I don't, I just, I don't parent that way. I, I, I have rules. If you live boundaries yeah, you have a curfew and respect those rules or there's going to be consequences. Um, So she's now, now she's on the kick of, well, you're replacing us. You're making a new family. I'm like, well, that's never been the case. You're a part of everything that we do. You are a huge part Mm -hmm. of your baby brother. You're a huge part of this new baby that's coming in. This is your choice. This is your choosing those words and your action. And so, Mm-hmm. Just trying to get her to understand that she's being a little selfish, and then my fourteen-year-old's totally into it. And he's like, you know, come play video games and hang out with the two-year-old, teach him about video games, and so that's that's been pretty cool. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah, interesting. Interesting how they all respond differently.
1: Yeah.
0: Any advice on how to uh, tiptoe across that particular problem with uh, the older daughter? you know, with, with two separate houses, it's so difficult to navigate that, you know?
2: Yeah, it's really difficult. And you know, it happens even when you are have one house, you know, that you have two parents who've been brought up differently by their parents. And so you've always got four adults, actually, well, actually six adults in the room, because you've got all the grandparents, even though they're not physically there, they're actually in the background. And so you've got different parenting styles. And I mean, I've often been involved in counseling situations on, on you know, in terms of discipline and boundaries with, Parents of toddlers, when one parent is saying he's too punitive, and the other one's saying, you know, sh- she's too relaxed or whatever it is, you know, so or, or too, or too, too permissive. Um, and so that's always going to be tricky. You know, one of the things that I always say to parents is that, and I, and I guess this would go in a divorce situation as well, is that you've got to right up front define what I call the health and safety issues. So these are the issues that if you cross that boundary, it can really disrupt your life. It can kill you. It can, you know, maim you. It can really hurt another person. And those become the health and safety issues. So, for instance, for a two-year-old, a health and safety issue is you may not bite another person. You know, two-year-olds go through those biting stages. Um, But for a teenager, it can be, you know, that you don't, you know, drink before you're driving, whatever it is, you know, and and, and young adults, And those become really firm boundaries that you've both got to agree on. And I guess, I mean, Nick, that's for you, you know, where where things are going a bit pear shaped because you guys maybe are not, you know, aligned on that. Um, and it's obviously a lot more difficult if you've got a, a you know, <laughs> separated or di- divorced situation. Yeah. So, um, but it is getting aligned because, uh, you know, if you're not aligned, kids will, kids will play you and they'll play one against off the other. That's just, that is what they're going to do.
1: Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned is you've got to be on the same page, especially in a divorce situation, you've got to be on the same page as the other parent to a certain extent. Obviously they're going to have their mm-hmm. rules at their house and we're going to have our rules mm-hmm. in our house. But at the end of the day, we've got to be able to come together and, put our differences aside and say, Hey, this is, this is the kid. We've got to do what's best for the kid. And in some mm-hmm. circumstances that's not happening with my daughter's mom and, and, you know, and mm-hmm. some, some it is. So it's just, it's kind of a pick your battle situation, I guess. And, you know, right now yeah, my daughter's kind of doing what she's doing and you know, thankfully she does a lot of stuff with church. So there's not a whole lot of parties and not a lot of drinking. It's just her church is having her make, bad decisions as far as listening to the parents so it's kind of uh yeah. yeah
2: it's rough so, yeah so,
1: so i mean it, it could be a lot worse it could be oh my gosh she's out at a party in the woods with a bunch of older boys but you know she's out of yeah time. so well, that, yeah.
2: yeah
0: how long have you uh meg been doing what you do and, and and let me when was the first book come out how long ago was that
2: so I'm going to show my age now. I've, I've got kids that are very similar age to Nick, in fact. So I, I have a 23-year-old, a 21-year-old, and a 17-year-old. So Nick, I mean, that's pretty much exactly the age is just about that you were talking about. Um, and it was after my 21-year-old was born that the book was written. So it's about 19 years now that okay. the book was out. Um, it has been out since, yeah. And and that book has consistently been a bestseller. It's, it's never come off the bestseller list. And And the reason for that is that it really describes the way that babies – um, why they do what they do. It is, doesn't, it's not a rule book for all babies are going to do it this way. It's got to do with explaining, you know, so for instance, it looks into the baby's state and how they signal their state and um, how they signal that they're becoming overstimulated as an example, um, how they signal when they need to go to sleep so parents can read the baby as opposed to reading the book and it also sets babies up with routines which is what the app does as well because routine is also important in babies lives so yeah so it's been a journey um you know the, the first book was written in, in about 2002 it came out um and then um all the way through the years until only two years ago i've always had a clinical practice as well so in my clinical practice i would see babies from as little as as two three weeks old all the way through up until about four five years old Predominantly with really fussy behaviour. I mean, Nick, very much like yours. I mean, I would see a lot of babies who would come to me at like six, seven months who just wouldn't eat, and they were going to have a pig, um, like a little um, button, put on their stomach where that you could feed them straight into their stomach because they wouldn't take food into their mouth. Wow! And a dietitian would send yeah, you know, really, really severe feeding problems. The dietitian would send them to me so that I could get the little one eating um, onto you know a better diet. So. I've worked with feeding problems, a lot of sleep problems. I would say eighty percent of my clinical practice was made up of sleep problems. Getting babies to sleep through the night is a big piece of the work. And in fact, in the Parents Sense app, there's one of the courses is on getting your baby to sleep through the night. So, Nick, if you're still being challenged with that with your little one, it's worth looking at that. Um, and Nick, there is also actually in the app, and I'm definitely going to send you voucher codes for all of these um, because they are paid for um, parts of the app. But um, I'm going to send you through voucher codes. There is a picky eating webinar on there, which I think you'll find will make a real difference for your little boy. Um, you know, just the principles. And I work with a whole lot of different um, clinicians, all are medical professionals. The one who does that one is actually a clinical dietitian, pediatric dietitian, and she's just an absolute whiz at getting little ones to, to uh, picky eaters to eat well.
0: Okay. On that topic, um, I'm curious about this as well, and I'm pretty certain you're going to have the proper answer, um, or at least correct answer. Uh, breastfeeding versus bottle feeding, um, have you seen uh, what are the differences? You know, once they they stop the breastfeeding, have we seen a correlation of being more mentally acute, uh, less, more allergic to things versus not versus breastfeeding for a, a while? And part two to that question: How long is too long to breastfeed? Because I'll answer. I'll give you a reason for that question when after your answer. <laughs>
2: Okay, brilliant. I love it. We're jumping right into the controversies. Why don't we just go right there? Okay
0: <laughs> so, Oh, this is controversial, <laughs> huh?
2: <laughs> well it isn't, and I'll tell you why it's controversial, J.P, is that there's a massive pressure on women to breastfeed, and not every mum can get it right. And right. you know the pressure, the pressure comes with a lot of guilt, um, because you know that there's the slogan, "Breast is best," and you know if you're going to do the best for your baby, best for brain development, best for everything, you, they've got to be breastfed. Now, that's all fine and well, and you can cite a lot of research that can support some of that, and we'll talk about that just now, but the reality is that not every mum can breastfeed, and not every baby can be breastfed, case in point, next next sixth baby. So, right. you know, I do think that there are there's situations where you can't breastfeed. And so, for me, and, you know, I'm always a little bit of a middle-of-the-road person, I think that the answer to the question lies in the individual mom and the individual baby. What's best for the baby is that they're well-fed and that they've got the nutrients that they need. And if that means that they are breastfed, that's fabulous. And if it means that they need to be bottle fed, then that's also absolutely fine. Or formula fed, that's absolutely fine. So from my perspective, both work well. There are a couple of caveats there. So one is that colostrum, which is the very early milk, it's highly creamy and it's just there for the first three days of a baby's life is actually extremely important for a baby's health. And it's important for, um, it, it, it has um, antibodies in it. it. It is important for immunity, but it's also actually important for gut health. So it has it has certain um, prebiotics inside of it that actually feed the probiotics inside your baby's gut. And your baby's gut, we're learning more and more about the human gut. And as we learn about it, we're learning that it um, has an impact on mood long-term on things like long-term chronic illnesses, like diabetes, all sorts of things. So that very early colostrum is actually very important. So if, you know, for every parent who's watching and for specifically for dads, you know, dads have a big part to play in breastfeeding and, and in supporting their wives. Um, but actually, yes, colostrum is very important. After that, breastfeeding is great because it continues to deliver all the fabulous nutrients as well as um, the, the immunity. But if you can't do it, then bottle feed. But in terms of how long um, to breastfeed, again, in my perspective, it's an incredibly personal decision. And so you can get a mom who wants to breastfeed all the way to four or five years old, and that's her choice. And it's not bad for her baby um, because it's not delivering the same impact in terms of health as it does when they're very little. So it doesn't, it's not really needed. Um, but for some little ones, um, that's what they want to do. And that's what the moms want to do. And I'm a big advocate for parents charting their own path. I think there's, there's room for everybody to make their own decisions. And, and I, so there's no age in which I say people must stop breastfeeding. But, um, I do say if you can do the first three days of breastfeeding, that's most important.
0: There you go. All right. We went about two years and that's when they actually, uh, both, um, my son and the youngest, decided that eh, I'm done with this. And, uh, they, they basically on their own, but if, if I think mom had her choice, she would have probably went another year if she, if she could have, um, yeah. you know, I was just curious nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, and, yeah.
2: No, look, I mean, there are a lot of controversial, um, you know, things like how long should we co-sleep with our babies? Should we co-sleep at all? You know, what about the SIDS risk? Um, oh. You know what about cesarean, what about cesarean sections versus natural deliveries? You know, what I mean, there's just so many, and, and I think you you get people, and this is the problem with parenting is that people are so polarized because they think that the way they've done it, or the latest piece of research that they've heard, or this one influence that they're following on TikTok, they think that that's the gospel and that's the only way. Right. But the reality, the reality with parenting is it's a private journey, it's a personal journey, and it's based on two human beings being the parents having their own decision-making abilities and, and their own context. And then you've got the baby, which Nick's baby's proved, is that, you know, you can have six six babies and one of them can be a curveball because they've got a sensory system that is different. And so you'll have to parent that baby differently. And that's why I don't like people being opinionated about how other people can bring up their babies because you're not in their shoes.
0: Exactly. Let's talk about uh, the co-sleeping for one second. Yeah. What is uh top of your head? Three hundred and sixty five times nine. Well, that's how many days my daughter has slept with us in our bed for the most part there's been a couple days here and there but i don't think aside from us being out of town and you know she being at grandma's i don't think there's been more than three consecutive nights ever where she hasn't been in our bed since she was born and she doesn't seem to you know you know at nine years old here's your own room with all your cool stuff and all doesn't even phase her she's like i don't care and you know when it's time for bed she hops in with mom and dad and when is that gonna end because i feel like you know if we keep on this same path 11 12 13 years old sleeping with mom and dad just doesn't while i don't mind don't get me wrong i just don't feel like that that is at some point it's got to end and it, I don't see it in sight. Help. <laughs> How do we fix this?
2: Yeah. So first of all, um, I mean, the first principle you have to look at is, I mean, and it's, us rewind nine years and down to you know, new babies, which, um, of course, it, it's Sophie, isn't it? Nick, who's, who's about to enter the world in six months yeah. time. Um, and so for new babies, there is some evidence that co-sleeping is not always the best for them in terms of sleep safety. And, um, there is, um, you know, there, there's the risk of SIDS or cot deaths. Right. And the risk of SIDS and cot death increases um, exponentially if a baby's sleeping on their tummy, which is why we have a back to sleep campaign. But it also does um, increase slightly if baby is sleeping in the same bed as a parent, and particularly if the sleep space is actually a couch. So if you fall asleep on a sofa or a couch, with your baby next to you, the SIDS risk actually rises quite a bit. Mm. But if you're sleeping in a bed and you, your covers aren't near your baby and you, they've got their own sleep space and you are co-sleeping really safely and you have to look at that, then co-sleeping is a potential option for the first year of life. Um, but there would be people who would be uh, proponents for not co-sleeping in the first year because there is a slightly increased risk of, of right. cot death or SIDS when you're co-sleeping with babies.
0: She had her own little – It all
2: changes it. – little
0: – Thing inside our bed, so yeah,
2: perfect. There was
0: never a so chance of perfect. Dad rolling over on her. Yeah,
2: <laughs> perfect, and that's and that's exactly exactly how parents of new babies should be sleeping with their babies. They should have their own sleep space in your bed if if they're going to co sleep. Moving on, fast tracking a year, eleven, twelve, thirteen months that risk disappears so you don't have the risk of cocktail anymore and then it becomes just like the breast versus bottle debate and that is that it's in t- in t- intensely personal. so for some people the marriage bed or you know having their, their their own bed and the baby sleeping in their own room with independence is critical from the day from day one um, and i would back them as well on that um but for other parents having their baby sleep in their bed with them and having that comfort, and that attachment is the route they want to take and i would back them on that as well so the answer to your question is, again, just like the the breastfeeding, there's no line in the sand that says all, all kids must be out of parents' bed by a certain age. Um, what I actually did with my kids, which is quite a nice middle ground, is I started to have a mattress next to my bed when they got to a certain age, you know, just like a, a yoga mat or, you know, nothing terribly big and he- hefty, something I could tuck under my bed. And when they came through in the middle of the night, I'd say to them, listen, it was that ABC a, I know you want to sleep with me. B is the boundary. There's actually no space. You and I are getting too big for this. And C, your choice is you can go back to your room or you can sleep on the on the mattress next to my bed. And so my kids used to do that. They'd go back to their room, they'd bring their duvet, they'd bring their, their, their comforter, they'd bring their pillows, and they'd bed down next to me. And my kids had access to me all the way into their teen years like that because, I mean, you know what it's like. They watch a horror movie um, at 14 and then they can't sleep and then they want to come through. So um, so, you know, again, having a middle ground, but doing it on, on your own terms is potentially the route that you could go, JP.
0: All right. Well, we're, we're going to give her a go. You know, it's, and uh, be right there with I've you. tried, I've tried bribing her, you know, <laughs> the, the absolute worst way to do it. And it still didn't work. You know, she just loves, you know, she just, uh, I think that's all that she knows, you know, so that's the idea. Uh, and, 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 you know, being alone, I've noticed there is a fear of the dark um and and not being close to any family members for an extended period of time it's gotten a little bit better um but there's still that fear so i'm sure that plays a, a very large part but we will see i wish she would have made an appearance i want to introduce you to her she always comes out here when i do this but i know where is she i don't i think is her bike here She's still inside the house somewhere because her motorcycle that we bought her for her birthday, and by motorcycle, I mean very small electric motorcycle. You know, she's not mobbing the neighborhood on a full-size motorbike, and then she has a helmet, okay? Uh, But it's still here, meaning she's inside the house somewhere.
1: So I'll be right there with you on getting Liam out of the bed situation when we get back from Vegas. We got him a little toddler bed. We're going to put it next to our bed. There you go. And uh, yeah, because I'm sick of having this much space on the king-size bed.
0: Oh, I, I, hey, don't worry, though. Even when the kid is out of the bed, you're still going to have that much space because yeah. then, you know, the wife will be like, let's have all the dogs on the bed.
1: No, no. She'll
0: and, just, like, lay sideways. And, and, yeah, then they'll yeah lie sideways. And it's...
1: Yeah. It, 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 this
0: is a battle we'll never win, Nick. This is a battle that, uh, as dads, are never going to accomplish. And yeah. you know what? Like you said, pick your battles. That's a minor one. <laughs> uh, <exactly. laughs> so take us back. I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, one of the questions that uh, it's kind of veer off of... Uh, of what you do, kind of. Um, it's one of the questions I ask most of our dads. How old, how old is your oldest? You said 23?
2: 23.
0: Sorry. Mm, 23. So I'm going to take you back about 24 years ago. You found out that you were going to be a mom for the first time. Can you recall the emotion and the experience that went through you that day?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I get goosebumps just thinking of it. It was it was really a big plan in our life. We We wanted to have kids young. We were incredibly young. We were in our early twenties when we had him, um, and it was that was always the plan. We wanted to be young parents, and um, yeah, I mean, for me, it was um, I, I changed everything overnight. I mean, I had at the time. I mean, I wasn't a big smoker, but I would occasionally smoke, and it was just an overnight decision. There was there wasn't a chance that I was going to risk anything for him. I stopped alcohol overnight, just like I, I wasn't a big drinker either. But there wasn't a single glass of wine that passed my lips. And so, for me, it was like a really intentional period of life. And, you know, I think if, if I look back, it was one of the most conscious times of life, where you know you, you almost are you nurturing this this human inside of you. You're so acutely aware of your body. You know, when you talk about mindfulness, where you you know kind of consciously take time out and reflect on your your body space and where you are in space, you never do it in quite the same way as you do when you're pregnant. You know, you are, everything becomes intentional. Every decision you make, every everything you ingest, you are thinking about, you know, what, you know, am I wiring this brain? And so for me, it was, it was an incredible period. You know, I really wanted to, I wanted to grow, you, you get one opportunity to grow this, this perfect brain, you know, and, and that's what pregnancy is. So for me, it was a very conscious and intentional time. We told our parents, I think at about six weeks, um, you know, as soon as we felt like the, you know, we were getting towards the baby being, you know, a little bit more of a, of a, you know, secure, pregnancy and um, we didn't wait wait for the first whole trimester um i think they all knew that i was pregnant already because i wasn't feeling great i was you know really feeling a little nauseous and um if i smelt mangoes i would immediately vomit bizarrely it was like that was my trigger right <laughs> so,
0: yeah. Are mangoes okay so, now
2: I, yeah i still can't drink mangoes. so
0: never a fan of the mango okay all right
2: I, I like mangoes now, but not like a, not mango juice. Like I, I can't do the whole thing. Um, but, you know, it was really interesting. And I think one of the, and I know this is a dad's podcast. One of the things for me that was just so incredibly special, and I know you guys will have felt it too, is that your relationship changes. I mean, you fall in love with your partner in a way that you didn't before because, you know, suddenly they are, they, they just are so key in your life. There's a vulnerability there because you can't do it without them. Um, but there's also this like incredible, you know, and I think that's when men really come into, into their manhood where they, you know, where they, they you know, it's, it's so, it's so incredible because you're this protector, you're this, um, you're the provider, you, and I'm not saying that the role is entirely yours because it works both ways, but you know, it's, it's just an incredibly precious time. You know, when a woman is nurturing a baby, a man is nurturing the the woman or the, the partner. And that's, that's what is supposed to happen in nature. It's incredibly special. So Um, Yeah, it was it was it was an awesome time in my life. I I look back on it really, really fondly. I loved all three of my pregnancies um, and and really cherished that. Yeah, cherished that time.
0: Was there any fear uh, on delivery for the first one, you know, the first time?
2: Um, You know, there was a fear of him being uh, of him having any problems because I had obviously been working, especially in New York, where I worked in a pediatric rehab facility. I worked with babies that had a number of different conditions lot of different syndromes. And, you know, I, I was just very aware of what can go wrong. And so I was fearful of that, you know, I was fearful that he would be born with Down syndrome, or, you know, with something that I, I just felt I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to cope as well with. Um So that was really hard. Um The actual birth was so interesting. You know, I, I didn't fear the birth, I and I love my birth. um I really did. But uh, my first two were natural deliveries, and my third one was a cesarean section, an emergency cesarean section. But um, I, I really believe that the reason I loved it so much was that I was well equipped with a good antenatal class. And that, that, that's something that I think is very important to do those antenatal classes, particularly if you're going to have a natural delivery. Do you call them antenatal classes in America?
0: No. No. I don't know what, what do you that call is. Them?
2: Okay, so I mean, I bet you I know what it is, but
0: I don't know what that means.
2: (laughs) Okay, so what do you call the classes that you go to to tell you how to um, labor and?
0: Yeah, what are the classes called, Nick? You know the breathing classes.
1: (laughs) I didn't. Uh, I I never went. Like we never did that.
0: Okay, (laughs) but but yes, we know what they're 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 Lamaze. Lamaze, Yes, Lamaze. That's what it is. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Okay. There you go. So, so we've actually got a Lamaze class on our app. So that's so that, that hasn't been loaded in yet. It will be loaded in by the end of next week. Okay. Um, and that that takes you through everything. And, and like it teaches you about what is what are the different stages of labour. What are you going to feel? What does pain relief look like? What is what to expect with an epidural? What to expect with a cesarean section? And I think if you've got that sort of knowledge, you really are empowered then to be able to actually deal with births. So I didn't fear birth; I was excited for it. And 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 actually, two of my births were really textbook births. The third wasn't. She was a she was a caesar, and that was a totally different story.
0: Okay, I have uh, one final question for you, and I love this question so much. And I think with uh, you and and who you are and, and what you do, um, this one's going to hit home for all the viewers whenever you may be watching this now or in the future and aside from the obvious answer of download the parent sense app what is one piece of advice that you could give to any new dad or expecting to be dad or any parent for that matter
2: so you've got this um, would be my just my f- first few words you really do you really do have this it's inside of you to be an incredible parent um, I think as a father your most important role is to be the vessel for your partner because when you do that and when you love the mom you will absolutely create a baby who, who grows up in a, in a secure space and so I think that's the most important thing a dad can do is you know you've got this love the mom and and, and you're going to do a great job
0: there you go that's a great answer right nick
1: yes very much so
0: there you go let's not go to tears here man (laughs) (laughs) she is miss meg fora i got that name pronunciation right it's been a whole hour and i still got it right uh author of the parent sense uh child sense lines of books Uh, are you the creator of the app is that yours the parent sense app your yep, okay.
2: parents
0: is mine go get the app right now if you are a whether you're struggling or not everyone every mom every dad could use some assistance and uh, from the little bit that we've spoken about and actually look through the app while we're on this episode um, that is something that I think will really really help any parent out um, it's been a pleasure uh, Meg fora uh, I would love to. Plant a seed, because for me, an hour with you was just not enough. Um, If you would be so gracious to maybe come back on the show and we could do a part two sometime in the not very near future, but sometime in the near-ish future, we would love to welcome you back if that's something you're interested in.
2: I'd love to do that, JP. I've really enjoyed my time with you guys. I mean, I think you guys are phenomenal fathers. Um, lots of babies between you I mean I th- is that nine babies between you it, that, it, huh?
0: that, that we know about that we know about <laughs> okay. Okay.
2: so you got you got some you got some proper experience but it's, yes. it's just awesome to meet up with you guys and, and, to, and to touch base with other dads who, who are also on this incredible journey
0: well we thank you so much man those words absolutely mean the world to us uh, to everybody watching uh, listening live right now or watching this in the future on YouTube thank you so much please obviously Obviously, like, comment, subscribe, do all those things. Uh, download the Parent Sense app. It is free. I literally did it during this episode. Um, it'll help you tremendously. Again, she is Meg Fora. Thank you so very much.
1: Thank you. Great.
0: Thanks, and we'll, guys. You're Love very you welcome. Chat. And we'll catch all of you on the very next episode. Have a great rest of your day.